to the KTH 9:10 a.m. interview of the week here on this wonderful Saturday afternoon. Thanks for joining us and in this uh program we talk about uh, interesting and informative topics related to our Catholic faith here in North Texas and one topic that seems to come up uh, often and I've done a number of interviews with different apostolates about this and it has to do with the issue of infertility which uh, my wife and I have struggled with uh, through different stages of our marriage and I know there's a lot of people probably nodding their head and saying they either you do or you know somebody that does and that's why so many groups, uh, Catholic and non-Catholic, seems especially Catholic groups, have begun to tackle this issue and help women, help couples uh, who are struggling with it. And one such group is called the Fruitful Hollow. And the founder and director, Lauren Allen, is joining me in studio now. She and her husband, Sean, uh, have been married a little over a year, and they are parishioners at St. John Nepomucene Parish in Ennis, Texas, down in the southern part of the Dallas Diocese. And their website uh, for The Fruitful Hallow is thefruitfulhallow.com, and it is a Catholic resource for those who struggle with infertility. And so, Lauren Allen, thanks for coming here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you about The Fruitful Hallow. Is this your first radio interview? It is. All right. I always love that, to be able to kind of break ground and uh, introduce people to something that I'm guessing 99% of our listeners, other than the ones that you said, hey, listen, on this date, have not heard about this. So, basic question, tell us what the inspiration was and the, the meaning behind the name. Okay, so the inspiration, um, my husband and I struggle with infertility, and I had just received some news about kind of my own personal health diagnosis on kind of what was happening with us. Um, and so I was kind of just needed to take it to prayer, and I was driving back roads like I often do when I need to talk to God or think. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a podcast. Um, there's a great organization called Blessed Is She, mm-hmm. and they have a great podcast called The Gathering Place. And so I was listening to this podcast. Um, they're a Catholic organization for women. And so um, driving down the back road, and I joke with my team that God hit me over the head with this, the idea for the Fruitful Hollow. And I think at that point I was praying that, um, you know, okay, God, just give me a baby. Let me be pregnant. And all of this stuff that I'm dealing with will kind of go away from me was kind of, I think, my prayer. And what I heard God so clearly say to me is your cross is meant to be carried. You're not supposed to pray that it's like taken away from you. Like it's meant to be carried. You're meant to get graces from it. Um, and after I heard that so very clearly, my mind was just flooded with all of these images or situations or conversations. And that's kind of where the idea for the fruitful hollow came from. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, because uh, it's almost like a fruitful is fruitfulness and hollow is like the opposite, right? Exactly. And so there is, there's a little bit of a paradox there, a right. fruitful hollow. And that, that, that's, it's an intriguing name for sure. This, um, Obviously, when you talk about infertility, we're talking about science. There's a lot involved. What What is your background educationally, professionally? Did you have any kind of experience in this kind of field? Not not in this field in my education. I, I am a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, and I was actually a vocal performance major, opera major. Oh, wow. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. And so then I taught a public school choir for about five years in Texas. And this past year is the first year I haven't been in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So no experience in anything medical or <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about infertility besides what we've right. been through. So how, how do you get around that? Because here you are, 
uh, starting this group and people are coming to you for information. And I know that uh, you, you said that you're finding inspiration, resources, church teaching, stories of fruitfulness. Uh, have you just had done a lot of research? Have you taken classes? How, how have you prepared yourself to do this work? That's kind of the question. So I um, feel very inadequate to have started this program. And I, we had done another recent interview where they asked me what my idea was for the Fruitful Hollow. And I had to laugh because I've never been like had the personal want to create like a infertility awareness blog. And so when, when I, when God like told me what I needed to do, I just started putting out feelers and all of these wonderful people started coming with all of the answers to our team and, um, just really like created such an environment for understanding and acceptance of what infertility means. So the Fruitful Hollow talks about more emotionally how to support, um, yourself or your family if you're struggling with it, but also there's a lot of gray areas as far as um, education goes in the church when it comes to infertility. So if mm-hmm. you think about marriage prep classes, usually infertility is not touched on at all. So you yeah. just go through these classes, you're told to be open to the possibility, possibility of children, and then it's for a lot of Catholic women, the idea is, okay, as my vocation, I'm called to be a wife and a mother. That's mm-hmm. kind of the consensus. Yeah. But what happens if you're not called to be a mother? Right. And so that's kind of where the fruitful hollow comes in. What? How are we supposed to be fruitful in the now, even though we're hollow and we're barren? Uh-huh. Yeah. And is it a group that tries to help women achieve pregnancy or is it just, okay, this is your situation. So this, this is different than like NAPRO technology yes. or Billings. We have a new sponsor, Dr. Craig Tursinski, that's called BOMA USA, the Billings Ovulation Method Association. Yeah. This is very different, isn't it? Yes. Uh, this is more of a spiritual uh, resource than a, a medical one. Is, exactly. that, is that right? Oh, yes. okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we're not, we're not here to give medical advice. We're not here to offer any kind of, we're not we're not trained in that. This is yeah. just for women and men to know that there's Catholic resources out there that can point them towards holiness yeah. and towards being fruitful, even in their current situation. Because the reality is, fertility is not guaranteed. Right. So I could be called to go through my whole life and never have a child, but what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not supposed to be fruitful? And so a lot of I think a lot of the times people get wrapped up in that that that's what they're called to be. When in reality, we don't know that. So mm-hmm. we're just called to be what we are in this moment for God, what he's asking us to do. Yeah. And, but always at the same time, being open to the fact that at some point God may surprise. I have some friends who had, and I have a sister who was infertile for, for 12 years. Right. She adopted three children with she and her husband. And then all of a sudden, boom, she's pregnant. Yeah. And so that, that, that hollow period, uh, although it wasn't hollow entirely, they're adopting children, but uh, right. that, that, that's the kind of thing you're dealing with is, yes. is how to deal with that, uh, that period of your life, exactly, right? Exactly. Because a lot of, I think a misconception is when somebody says that they're infertile. I mean, obviously my husband and I have been married for a year. So even my own family has been like, why do you say you struggle with infertility? You haven't been trying that long. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've only been married for a year, but with infertility is a taboo subject to talk about primarily because when you talk about it, people think you're talking about your life in your bedroom or you're Mm -hmm. talking about that intimate side of your marriage when in reality it's more of a medical thing that you're going through, medical treatments, medical diagnosis. Um, Yeah, so it's just we're here to help people Mm -hmm. kind of walk that path. 
So uh, when you talk about stories of fruitfulness, I-, I assumed that was like success stories and somebody got pregnant and they're having triplets. No. And so you're talking about uh, fruitfulness even in the midst of infertility, right? So can yes. you can you g- tell us some 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 examples of that or people that you're you're dealing with? Yes. Yeah, so um, my first thing was when God kind of gave me this idea, I started doing some research. Like, okay, why this is already out there? But in reality, what I found is a lot of blogs that could help people with infertility are often outdated because what happens is the woman goes through the period of infertility and then might not feel called to write about it anymore if she's past that stage of her life. Um, so there's a lot of success story blogs out there. But what's really hard is when you're in the midst of infertility and you're hurting and you're just needing something to get you through, just some sort of inspiration for the now like what do I do right now those success stories aren't necessarily helpful even though they give us hope they don't tell us what to do now so that's what the fruitful hollow does we try to put out blog posts um, that say you know how to be fruitful now so any that's one of our criteria for anybody who writes for us it's not just their personal story Mm -hmm. it's about how to be fruitful whether it be a saint or just questions for internal reflection on where you are, maybe in spiritual warfare at that point in your infertility journey. Yes. My guest is Lauren Allen. She's founder and director of The Fruitful Hollow. You can find them online, thefruitfulhollow.com, a resource for those who struggle with infertility. You can find inspiration, resources, church teachings, and also stories of fruitfulness, as you mentioned. You mentioned the saints. This is common in scripture, isn't it? It seemed like uh, and in a number of places, there are women that have not been able to conceive, and in some cases, they, they eventually do. Do right. you take inspiration from any of the characters of Scripture in particular? Oh, yes. I think um, we actually have a part of our ministry that we're launching called the Sisters of Hannah, and that's Hannah was a biblical figure in the Bible who struggled with infertility. She's actually the mother of Samuel, so she she did eventually conceive. But what's interesting about Hannah's story is there in the Bible, it talks about her going to the temple to, you know, pray and ask God, like, why have you forsaken me kind of in this moment? Mm -hmm. Why am I barren? And she's really struggling. And I think that's something that's so true to still what women go through today. This question of why, why hasn't it happened for us yet? Mm -hmm. Would you say infertility is an opportunity uh, to grow in holiness and not just a time to, oh my gosh, you know, like you say, well, you know, complaining to God and all that. uh, there's an opportunity maybe to do more while you're single and maybe you're, I mean, I'm not single, but while you're uh, childless. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. So what, how, uh, I noticed on the website, there's a, a lot of people involved, a lot of staff members. Are you a 501 C three? Uh, what, what's the kind of the structure and how are you funded? We're not funded at all. We're funded by me and okay. my husband who run our, um, Website. We pay for the website subscription, and that's literally it. All volunteers. Yes, as volunteers. Um, And that's kind of an important thing. I mean, for women who struggle with infertility, we're not trying to make money off of anybody who Mm -hmm. gets help from our resource. And so we've had to turn writers down who write for a living because we can't pay for them to write. But our writers are phenomenal. And so everybody's doing it from their own personal experience and their own heart. Yeah. Is this something that you would like to take into parishes? Uh, is, uh, well, what, what, where do you see yourself a year, five years down the road? Uh, well, any, anything, uh, goals or? Yeah. So this was actually really interesting. So when I started the Fruitful Hollow, I literally just started putting feelers out there. Do, does anybody think this resource would be needed? I didn't even really know what the resource would be. Um, 
but everything went so quickly. I've never been involved in anything like this. In two weeks after the idea came, we had an international team. Our editor is a professional editor out of the UK. And so as far as being involved in specific parishes, I think we are kind of uh, like too big for that. We are an international organization. Mm. Our resource um, coordinator is from Canada. And so we're just seeing this really strong pull to be international. And one of the big, big reasons is the United States is really good about talking about infertility. Other countries are not. So our editor is very open about how there's no support almost in the UK for Catholics who struggle mm. with infertility, Yeah, which was a shock to me because I thought, okay, maybe this will be in our area. You know, when I just started putting feelers out and God made it very apparent that he has other plans for yeah. this. How, how common do you have any statistics about the, the, the number of couples who are experiencing fertility and, uh, and is it increasing? It's, it's my, my wife and I have often had this conversation. We went through a five-year period of, uh, not, I guess, not infertility. We're having a lot of miscarriages yeah, and, and right. having a hard time. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very common, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think the like stat- the official statistic is about one in eight women struggle with infertility. Okay. Or one in eight couples. I can't remember. Yeah. And how how is this... Or is it distinctly Catholic? I'm sure you'll, you'll help anybody and anybody I'm guessing can, can, can benefit from your, your organization. But what is it that, uh, where the Catholic Church teachings uh, assist you? So this is extremely Catholic. And that was kind of a big reason for the inspiration. God, I had, like he said, you're meant to carry your cross. But what I also, when all the images and everything started coming to me, the biggest thing was I need you to put theological truth out there about infertility. Um, and it's hard because there's so many infertility blogs for people who aren't Catholic who consider things like in vitro fertilization, which the church is very much against. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of those resources, but for Catholics, there's not. I yeah, think there's only yeah. like one or two, and they focus mostly on retreats. And so even the teachings about sex in the Catholic church is – hard to understand because so many people think that the Catholic Church believes that it should lead to children. So we've had people write in and ask us, if I'm diagnosed with permanent infertility, can I still have that relation with my husband? Yeah. And the answer is yes. And we were able to write and get that truth out there. But the devil's really good about doing spiritual warfare on this kind of thing. So, yes. Yeah. And you mentioned IVF. I think there's a certain mentality that, you know, married couples deserve babies are owed god owes us babies we're going to do anything we can even if it's um something that goes against church teaching it seems like what you're doing is a remedy for that by saying it's okay you know the the, you're you're experiencing a a fruitful hollow and 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 that's a cross but it's okay i mean is that uh well one of your outreaches as well for people who might be a little bit desperate to have children? I think everybody, well, I can't say everybody, but I think the majority of of us are desperate to have children. It's such an innate thing as humans. You know, you want to have that family. And so when it's not happening, it's extremely hard and people look at their options, but there's not been a big resource out there to tell them why not IVF. And that's a big question. And it goes into a lot of, um, uh, you know, it is a church teaching, but also if we believe that life starts at conception, then if you're if you are creating all of these embryos in a petri dish then you have about some people have like seven conceptions and so you have seven children and a lot of the times that doesn't pan, i mean sometimes it does but it doesn't always lead 
to actual biological mm-hmm. children who are living on the earth. So what about those little souls? Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of a, it's a hard thing to talk about, but I think that's what the Fruitful Hollow is called to do. Yeah. The fruitfulhollow.com is the website. My guest is Lauren Allen, founder and director. I'm really intrigued by all this. And so somebody comes to you and they say, I understand what you're doing and we carry our cross and we, you know, accept that this is our state right now. But at the same time, I want to, you know, check, check out Dr. Hilger's, you know, Paul, the Sixth Institute, right. maybe BOMA. What's that balance between I'm going to keep pursuing this while I'm carrying my cross? And so I got one foot in each door. Or, well, what's your advice to those people? They go together. My husband and I are going through NAPRO technology treatments. Okay. And so we're doing progesterone injections and we're doing letrozole and we're doing medication to have a child. But the thing is, is we can only do so much. Science can only do so much. And then it's in God's hands. And so you, you can push those boundaries or you can pray through it. And God gave us all of these wonderful resources to use. So walk that path, whether it be adoption or whether it be getting treatments. We like wherever you're at, walk the path that you want to. But we're just here for the now of the holiness, Mm -hmm. what to do in the present time when you're waiting, when you're praying. Yeah, oftentimes uh, when I do an interview like this, I say, well, can people donate and uh, what are your needs? Uh, I know you have on your website that you're looking for writers interested in joining the project. doesn't sound like you need donations. There's no, you know, tax-free this and that or events or <laughs> uh, what, what, uh, what the, per- the person listening who's intrigued by what you're doing, how can they help you? Prayers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prayers, but we always love to hear from people. Um you know, this ministry is so new. It just started in January of 2021. And so we're still trying to get feelers out there for what what people are needing, mm-hmm. um, which is part of our Sisters of Hannah program that we're, we're doing. So we're looking for mentors right now, which are we're specifically asking women who are um, past the age of like actively trying to grow their family within a year. So yeah. they're not going to try to have children anymore. They've struggled with infertility or they're not pr- actively pursuing adoption currently. And we're asking these women to look into our Sisters of Hannah ministry to walk along women who are currently undergoing treatments. Mm-hmm. The, the couple that has seven kids. They, they're, they're, they really want that, that eighth child. They've been infertile for two years. Mm-hmm. Are, are are they are they fruitfully hollow and but they they've got a big family does the is there a place for them in the in the organization I'm so glad you asked this a lot of infertility blogs Satan's so good at polarizing so we yeah. have you know people like myself who struggle with primary infertility I've never been pregnant and yeah. then there's women who like you're saying they have children but they want another and they can't get pregnant that's a cross too and that's called secondary infertility yeah. the fruitful hollow is here for everybody and we're also here for people. Even even people who adopt, a lot of the times people think, oh, well, you'll adopt and have children, you'll be fine. But you still carry the cross of infertility your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so we're here for everybody. It's yeah. inclusive. Yeah, yeah, and miscarriages, even uh, yes. abortion, perhaps. Yes. Somebody who's, uh, I, I just did an interview yesterday with some folks, uh, uh, Jenna, a lady who had an abortion, went through a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Right. So I think this is such a, a, a unique uh, and interesting, and I, and I totally misunderstood even when we started the interview. I thought you were a... Yeah, fertility <laughs> kind no. of place. And so this, this is, I, that's why I told you I don't like to do too much of a pre-interview because I like to just have that natural response to uh, uh, learning about it as we go along. Uh, Lauren Allen is my guest, uh, founder, director. The Fruitful Hollow is the apostolate, thefruitfulhollow.com. 
And is there anything else that we didn't cover, Lauren, that you'd like our listeners to know about? Or maybe what can they find on that website if they visit it? I'm looking for somebody. So I have a feeler in my heart that if anybody out there is listening is interested. When we first started this, we're kind of going off of the Holy Spirit, but the most of the women on our team are, or everybody on our team right now is a woman. They all struggle with infertility. And we put out a blog post about husband's perspective, has the husband's perspective on infertility. Mm. And my husband even struggled a little bit with, um, male infertility. And yeah. so there's a whole, I mean, men out there struggle too. And so we were actually looking for a man who would be interested in writing. We have an Ask Elizabeth column from Elizabeth in the Bible. Writers can call, um, ask in and write in and ask about anything infertility. And we mm. tried to get them answers like the question about, can I have, relations with my husband if we're infertile. So that was an Ask Elizabeth, but we felt so strongly called to start Ask Elizabeth and Ask Zachariah. (laughs) So we're looking for a male who would be interested in writing and researching for those questions. Oh, okay. All right. Well, if you're that male out there, uh, you should go ahead and contact. I guess they can reach you through the website. Yes, my email's out there. Thefruitfulhello.com. Lauren Allen, founder and director. And real quickly, because we got to wrap up, the Sisters of Hannah retreat May 1st. Uh, Register on the website. Yes. Is there a cost? No, it's free. It's for any woman who is interested in being a mentor. All right. Uh, Sisters of Hannah, May 1st, uh, right around the corner. In fact, I think that is that next weekend. Uh, thefruitfulhallow.com. Hallow is like uh, Halloween, right? Hallow.com. Uh, uh, Lauren, thanks so much for being here. Great to, to meet you. And uh, hopefully we can have a, a follow-up interview here in six months or a year. And Thank we'll, we'll you. hear how you're doing. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I always appreciate when somebody like Lauren reaches out to me and says, hey, uh, let's listen. And I suggest we do an interview. And you get to learn about interesting groups like this. And so if you have anything that touches on the Catholic faith that's here in North Texas, please email me. I'd love to interview you as well. Uh, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. And again, the website, thefruitfulhallow.com if you want to learn about Lauren Allen's uh, group. All right. Thanks to Diane Xavier for running the board. And thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your weekend. God bless you. Come, let us pray to our Blessed Mother that she will guard and protect our country from those who wish to destroy it. Bring God's influence to our leaders that they lead us based on His will and not our own. Restore love and peace in our hearts. Inhale us so that we can truly be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. A patriotic rosary will be held at St. Patrick Cathedral in Fort Worth, focusing on prayer for our nation and our church on Monday, April 26, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Free rosaries will be available. KATH 910 AM welcomes Emerson on Harvest Hill as a new sponsor. It's a senior living community in North Dallas near St. Rita Parish. Amenities include chef-prepared meals each day, transportation, social and educational events and activities, 24-hour security, as well as participation in the sacraments. To learn more about Emerson on Harvest Hill or to arrange a tour and visit, you can contact Karen Ray via email at kray at emersonharvesthill.com or you can visit their website, emersononharvesthill.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. And it is my uh, delight and pleasure to introduce you to, you probably have heard of him, but uh, welcome to our studio, one of our wonderful priests from the Fort Worth Diocese, uh, Father Kyle Walterscheid, who I have known many, many years. He has been a priest for 19 years, and for the last approximately nine years, uh, since 2012, 
He has served as the pastor of St. John Paul II University Parish in Denton, which is very close, of course, to all the universities like uh, TWU and uh, University of North Texas. So it's a, it's a college town, and uh, they got a great parish there. Uh, to serve the young people. Their website is jp2denton.org, jp2denton.org. Father Kyle Walterscheid, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dave. Great, uh, great to be here again. It's been a few years that I've, I've been actually down here. You've come up quite a few times into Denton at uh, Divine Mercy Bookstore, and that's where we've, we've done our last few interviews. Yeah. But great to be back down here as well. Yeah, and the first time we've actually been able to kind of show you around this new new office and right. studio. We've been here nice. uh, since 2016, so right. it's good right. to have you. Uh, tell me about... I, I, I'm, I know you've told the story probably of your vocation, but uh, you grew up in Munster. Munster yes. is uh, an amazing city, very Catholic. Uh, can you just kind of briefly talk about how you felt the call to priesthood? Well, that's a long story. <laughs> but I, I think the idea of altar serving uh, as maybe middle school, high school, something that I really uh, – that was dear to my heart, kind of like uh, – kind of always got centered, always got – always had a sense of peace. Uh, about me during the mass and yeah. just being close to the priest, I always enjoyed that and tried to tried to do everything right, you know, and trying to ring the bells on the wrong time and all those, <laughs> those sort of things. But there is something beautiful about the mass, and mm-hmm. and you may not understand what the priest is saying when you're growing up. You're probably not getting the real message that he's trying to bring across. Uh, but nevertheless, the experience of it, right, in in just the the internal peace that that uh, Christ gives us at Mass. It's the source and summit of Christian life, the mm-hmm. Eucharist in the Mass. So um, I think we have to put that in the context of that that was the, a, a big movement later on in, in my college year. Yeah. So uh, I went into uh, engineering school at UT Arlington and uh, ended up with my civil engineering degree there. Uh, worked for five years uh, in engineering with the Texas Department of Transportation in Fort Worth. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved uh, all the people there. Uh, still have good friends. Friends there. I keep up. I don't keep up with them every day, but mm-hmm. I do keep up with them. Uh, great friendships. And it was a great family. This, the, this, the, the engineering field itself was, was, I, I really enjoyed it. It had a high ethic dimension to it. Uh, but at the same time, as I went through, uh, some aspect of me just didn't quite feel fulfilled. It was like yeah. uh, I, I enjoyed it. That was what I was naturally good with was mathematics and the sciences. However, uh, you know, what's what's your purpose in life? And, you know, you're 20 years old, 25 years old. You're trying to you're still trying to find your way. What what how am I going to live this life? What is my purpose in life uh, as a Christian, as a Catholic, seeing that, hey, I you know, I I do have a purpose life, a purpose filled life, mm-hmm. and my ultimate you know my ultimate goal is to serve others. So uh, in this world, right, to lo- know, love, and serve the Lord in this world, in the next. So just trying to get uh, that balance, and then I had to go deep. I I ended up and I said, well, I don't know if that priest up there, that guy up there, is he is he speaking the truth? I, I wonder. I don't really know. I think mm-hmm. he is. <laughs> I, so I had to go deep into my faith, and back then there's no internet, there's no, there yeah. was no access to anything, any Catholic material other right. than what my mom would give me that might be the Magnificat or something like mm-hmm. that, uh, Catholic Digest or things of that nature. And uh, so anyway, I made the journey, took me about two years to kind of figure that out, read the Bible through all the way from front page to last, 
And uh, I said, I, I, I got to do this. I need to know whether I'm called to this priesthood yeah. thing because uh, it was just pounding on my heart. So anyway, I uh, checked it out, uh, uh, got accepted in the seminary after, 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 you know, six months of, of kind of walking that journey mm-hmm. with a vocation director and re- never really looked back. I, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I got enthralled with what I was learning with actual Catholic teachings, encyclicals from the, from the popes of, uh, throughout the centuries, uh, the early church fathers, the sacred scriptures, really understanding how you put Christ with the sacraments, you know, what, yeah. you know how, how does that work? How did that, uh, how did the sacraments come about from the Old Testament to the New Testament, New Covenant? I just enjoyed it all and really felt by the end of my seminary years, just this is it. This is fired up. I was, I, yeah. I had most, most, I don't know, I, I just certainly, I had certainty. Yeah. I had certainty yeah. that this was my calling. So, uh, from Christ himself. So it was, uh, it's been good. It's yeah. been good in that yeah. regard. So served as vocation director for a while, and then 2012, as we mentioned, you're appointed to this upstart uh, project, I guess you could call right. it, in Denton. Tell us about what was the uh, genesis and uh, kind of thinking back then of, of starting well, this new parish. The first, the first thought it, it came underneath uh, Bishop Kevin Van when he was our bishop from 2005 to 2012. Uh, then he was reassigned to uh, Orange. Uh, Diocese of Orange in yeah. in uh, California, but yeah, <laughs> he told me in the fall of 2011. He says, "Go down to College Station at Texas A and M and go see what they're doing. Whatever they're doing, they're doing it. They're doing something good." I said, "Okay, yeah, so, St. Mary's, St. Yeah. Mary's, yeah. St. Mary's." So I did, and uh, uh, started speaking with the priests there, communicating with them, and uh, just just kind of got a sense of what what that environment, that culture that they had created was like and how fruitful it was. And sure enough, you know, a few months later, uh, the bishop says, I, I, I said, I talked to the bishop, said, I, I think I've done my time in the vocations office. I think someone else needs to come in uh, and I need to hand it off. And uh, so this was the assignment that he gave me. I said, I need something stable. He did not give me something. <laughs> Just in case you want to know, obedience yeah. is you, you take on whatever the bishop asks. So, yeah. Um, so I, it was very. It was going to be very unstable. I knew that going into it, it was going to be unstable. So I told the bishop, I said, I don't think this is the right thing. <laughs> I don't think I'm made for this. Yeah. But he says, he said, Kyle, he said, I want you to just just pray on it. Okay. So I, I it didn't even take me a night. Mm. You know, I, I woke up in the morning that I had prayed that evening and maybe an hour or two. And by the time I woke up, it's like, no, it's the right thing to do. So yeah, you were convinced I it was. It, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and what exactly? Just to start a parish start in, a par- in Denton, So he right? wanted to start a parish in Denton. He had tried to do that in 2009. And uh, this the way things turned out that he ended up I had to pull the priest because uh, we had another priest uh, uh, pass away who was actually still pastoring. And we did not have another priest to put it, put in that spot. So we ended up and, and took that priest out of uh, campus ministry and chaplaincy and uh, put him into pastor. Mm. So, so he had tried it once again, once before. And this time he was more determined than ever. So he mm-hmm. said, we're just going to make it a parish and then we have to do it. <laughs> so that's what he did. Right, right. Uh, and then it was, uh, we had a lot of trying years. It was like, uh, why, why am I going to leave my, you know, if you have a faithful, a faithful Catholic ready going to church, receiving the sacramental life, probably engaged in their parish, 
Why would you go to a, a place that's called a parish, has mm-hmm. no church, has no parking lot, has no pews? Yeah. Uh, you know, you gotta walk a, a block or two to get to the, the center where you're, we're gonna worship on campus, uh, just kind of non-denominational buildings and chapels, uh, to do all that. So it was a really, it was just, uh, some hard, hard years to find a balance because you're there for the students at UNT and TWU and anybody else who's young, who's, Maybe they're going to college. Maybe they're not. Maybe they. Maybe they're going into a trade school or straight into work. You're, we're trying to build something for uh, for that age bracket for the diocese. So uh, certainly for Denton County, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so we went through some hard years, and we had to raise. Uh, we thought we could raise a million dollars and build our first building, but once you start getting into a building project, you quickly learn that whatever number you have, you better double or triple it. Oh yeah! And so yeah. It ended up uh, our building. We, we just got into the new building in uh, twenty nineteen, the fall of twenty nineteen, six months before COVID hit, uh, and. Uh, it's, I think the building's just over $3 million mm. in cost. And, uh, praise God to this day, we're almost down to $100,000 that we owe. So, oh, wow. so we have, we have really worked hard on that. And lots of people came forward, benefactors in and around Denton that, uh, in my hometown in Lindsay, Texas, Pilot Point, Decatur, uh, just that area in general that people yeah. have have given in in uh, nice quantities, I guess you could say, because the idea is like like if we continue to live this the way we're living and we keep losing our our our, our students or our our sons and our daughters uh, from the Catholic faith when they go to college, yeah. and yeah. you know eighty percent lose their faith in college, you're like. You can't do that for two generations and have a Catholic right, church. Right, right. You're going to be done. So, You're going to be done. So, so tell me what the strategy is because – and by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is the interview of the week. My guest, Father Kyle Walterscheid, pastor of St. John Paul II University Parish in Denton, talking about uh, the, the inspiration, uh, Bishop Van asking him to start this parish there in Denton, which is right by – you know, right in the epicenter of, of a lot of universities like uh, UNT and TWU. Uh, and I think there's a third uh, university in Denton, isn't there? No, there's uh, just the two, but, just then the two have, big ones? but then you have NCTC okay. is there. They're now inside. They're there at the downtown. They have a downtown location, but they also have a Flower Mound location and uh, uh, Corinth uh, uh, location as well. So they got they may have about eight to 10,000 students themselves yeah. as, a, as a smaller so, college. So you gave that statistic, 80% yeah. of... Catholics lose their faith in, in college, right. university life. They right. got a four year span. Uh, right. so you, you've got a pretty limited amount of time for most of your parishioners, uh, to, to kind of make an impact. What, what, what is, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, the strategy of, of how, how you go about drawing people in and then also catechizing them? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it has its challenges. I, I'm still learning. You know, yeah. I, I may be in this nine years, and really, I've been in college ministry my whole nineteen years, and even in seminary, I ended up in doing. Uh, I was a, in doing college ministry, like at St. Mary's University in in San Antonio. So, uh, some for whatever reason, I'm I'm the chosen one to do college <laughs> ministry for the last twenty years for the diocese, but uh, at least one of the main priests. But um, no, I the overall strategy. I'm I'm reworking some of that strategy and. Part of our strategy the last nine years, we, we've had to have, we had to have, uh, our focused missionaries. I, I, to have people that are the same age or maybe just a few years older, you know, 
two, yeah. three, four years older than the college students. They are looking up. College students look up to that age group. They won't, you know, they're not listening to their parents so much. You know, yeah. they think they got their direction, but they will listen to, to a young man of faith or a young woman of faith. And our focus missionaries have been profound in, mm. in providing that dialogue and invitation. You know, they're, they'll go out into the, into the universities and just, just talk to people on on the uh, sidewalks yeah, and in yeah. you know in the cafeterias and stuff and uh, say just to start a dialogue see where their faith is and, and ask them hey would you be interested in a prayer group that we're offering this evening you know or yeah. something like that uh, just getting their information and, and then uh, staying connected so they will text them and they'll do all the things to to really follow through so that that has been huge for us yeah very good I, I also I visit the website jp2denton.org and it seems like there's a lot going on you've got the um, a Latin mass immaculate heart mass evening prayer uh, you've mentioned the focus missionaries uh, Bible studies. Is it a pretty hopping uh, place where every day of the week something's happening? Or I guess that's the thing. You got to you, yeah, you you draw people in to be actively involved in their faith, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so even, well, despite COVID, uh, our, you know, our numbers are down 50%. It's probably every parish is. Mm-hmm. Uh, student-wise, we're down maybe even more than 50%. Because uh, when the fall semester hit, a lot of parents said, you know, let's just do it by Zoom. Even more, a few more say that in January. Uh, so actually on pres- presencing, you know, uh, at the parish itself are, is down. But nevertheless, the ministry's continued. And there's been some good outreach even on Zoom and everything else that, that students can come in that are already connected with us and stay connected throughout mm-hmm. the year. So, but no, it is a lot of activities. Um, what, one of the things I've tried to do and will continue to do is create the parish as a hub of, of the spiritual life of prayer. Uh, I, I've, I've toyed with this idea or I, I've mentioned this idea to my staff and even, uh, uh, student leadership from time to time is I want to create, um, an environment. And this is what I think that we need to do at all of our locations where we have campus centers and, and university parishes, create a mini monastery. It sounds kind of like, no, there's no way you can do that. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. This is, this is not the 12th century. You can't create a <laughs> monastery and somehow yeah. expect students to come over. But what is, what is that? What, what, what is the monastery? It, people used to in those centuries used to go leave wherever they are in the small towns or in the countryside and they would go to the monastery to find that spiritual direction from the monks or from the sisters, the nuns, and speak to them, and they would give this beautiful insight that they had never realized. Well, and there would be prayer times, et cetera. So we're trying to create prayer spaces throughout the day. Well, how do you do that? You know, through the church, through the centuries, even into the Old Testament, praying seven times a day. So we have the liturgy of the hours, six in the morning, nine in the morning, noon, three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock in the evening. Those are all opportunities Mm -hmm. Standardized, the prayers are already there. Just come together. You don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be Christian. If you just kind of a sense uh, leaning toward God, that you can uh, one student, a Catholic student, can invite their roommates, they yeah, can invite their yeah. classmates right on over, and the next thing you know, you're you, you can pray and then talk about that experience of prayer. Yeah, it's a great event. You know, it's a evangelization. The great tool of evangelization, greatest we could ever think of. Got a mini monastery right there. So yeah, huh. we're we got a ways ways to go, but we do have t- certain time sets on on 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that we're already doing some of that. So. Yeah, interesting. Talk about the influence of social media, especially on young people. I mean, we're all pretty much most all of us are carrying a phone around and we're constantly checking email and text and Facebook and Twitter. And uh, how, how does that play into evangelization? I, it is. It has its challenges. And, um, you know, you, you, you walk down, you walk down a, a, a typical college university and uh, students are walking from one one building to another, and they're looking down. They're not even looking up. You yeah, know, they could, yeah. you could have a moose or a giraffe or an elephant uh, or a whole herd just walk, run across. They wouldn't even, notice, even notice. Wouldn't yeah. even notice, right? <laughs> so it's just funny to watch uh, what what social media is doing and the iPhones and all the other smartphones are doing. One of the things it does, it, it pulls them in so many hours into it that they're watching watching the phone, yeah, whatever they're doing on the phone. So there 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 is. I think as a church, we have to be concerned about some of that. It's like there needs to be – you can do those things, social media, but do it in moderation. Otherwise, yeah. you how are you ever going to pass your classes? How are you ever going to be enter – how are you going to get those steps, those 30, 40, 50 steps to get into your profession yeah. if you're caught into social media mm-hmm. or gaming, right? Yeah, Lots yeah. of guys, probably more than girls overall, are into the gaming. They'll When they start a gaming – well, it's going to be six hours. Yeah. Well, father, very addictive. I, I, right, yeah. very addictive. Well, they, you can't stop the game. You can't stop the game till you made it to a certain level. Yeah. Or you're out, you know, or whatever. So they'll, it just pulls them in. So we have to find balance there. A lot, there's a lot of good. <coughs> there's a lot of good in social media, uh, whether it's Instagram and other, other, uh, uh, medias that you can use, uh, that, can help spur the faith, kind of keep you centered in the faith. Uh, but I, you know, it, it's, those are good. Those, those are, there's lots of Catholics and lots of fellow Christians that are doing those things, religious people that are trying to bring that faith into that, into that virtual world. But at the end of the day, it's virtual. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what our faith is? Virtual? Do, yeah. I have, do I have virtual faith or do I have real faith? Yeah. I, and so there has to be some, there has to be something else that, that well, there is something that's profoundly missing in the virtual world. And so, again, the need to draw them into a faith community, into small uh, faith groups, small prayer groups, uh, and sometimes just social time, social mm-hmm. time, just pulling them together and having some interaction and fun socially. So those are the things that I think we have to balance um, uh, social media and just the Internet and those things. Do you, do you find, uh, especially with young people, that there is a reluctance, uh, maybe due to social media or maybe due to COVID, to get together, uh, to have that, you know, Face-to-face interaction uh, is, is is this a big issue on the college campuses? Um, I, I think that I think it was at the beginning. I think now I think students are realizing they they are not happy. They're not they're not finding fulfillment. There's yeah. loneliness, yeah. real loneliness, uh, by being kind of you know locked into their apartment or whatever else, and being ever have everything at your hand, but you're not getting out and, and having life. You're not right. actually experiencing life. And part of the year, I think, you know, at least 
traditionally is uh, the idea of going to college is to get some experience and just mm-hmm. getting out and seeing things. Well, if you're locked in your apartment for four years, that wouldn't yeah. be much of a college <laughs> experience. It didn't see much. So, yeah. Let me uh, uh, have a few minutes remaining. Father Kyle Walterscheid, my guest, pastor of St. John Paul II University Parish uh, in Denton, jp2denton.org. There's a lot of information there about uh, the various activities and masses, of course, the mass schedule and the other sacraments. Uh, you had mentioned before we started about some special events having to do with, with uh, uh, um, you know, the, the, the solemnity of St. Joseph right, or, right. Uh, you know, uh, candle kind of, mass. I, I was, yeah, talk, we that, was talking off, uh, off the, on, offline on the yeah. candle mass that we did on February 2nd. Yeah. The, again, this is, these are opportunities. Uh, I, I have just over the years of my priesthood tried to reconnect uh, to our past to really, there was a lot of rich things that were happening before Vatican II that Vatican II doesn't give a mandate to say, drop them, drop mm-hmm. all your traditions, yeah. forget your traditions, forget your rituals. It doesn't say anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's trying to, it's trying to, trying to help the Catholics in some way to see, uh, the non-Catholic world to embrace fellow Christians in real brotherhood that was lacking. There, there was some real lacking. We get, yeah. I mean, we could have a whole, uh, you know, we could have several talks just on on what was like before Vatican II, but um, I, I think there's a real need for that for those rituals. Uh, you know, funerals, for example. You know, this is completely different from college, typical college stuff. But those rituals in that are they're, they're, they are part of uh, part of the part of dying. This ritual, these rituals, help us in that in that mourning process. They help healing. You bring the Holy Spirit in those moments of deep sorrow. Though I walk through the valley of darkness, I shall feel no, feel, uh, fear no evil. Or you are at my side with your rod and your staff to give me courage. Here's like Psalm 23. It's like there's rituals to go with that to mm-hmm. help you. Community coming together to help you. Family coming together. People that you never thought was your family, all of a sudden they're pouring forth and they're, and they're assisting you in, in this way and that way. We need to do that on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and we have the church calendar. The liturgical calendar is, is is just filled almost daily with activities that we can do to enter into that space. So, yeah, like candle mass is official concluding of Christmas, the Christmas yeah. season. Forty days after is February second. So we did a a candle mass, and we had. Uh, our altar servers, uh, male altar servers from the, from the college. So all college student altar servers. And, and we did this candle mass and everybody brought their candles from, uh, a few days, uh, the Sunday before. We blessed all those candles. Uh, we incensed the candles. We, you know, put the holy water and blessed them with, uh, the holy water. Really made that ritual uh, yeah. symbolism. We had all the people that came that day. We had about 50 people came. They all, we all had them hold a candle, uh, themselves, uh, a glass, a glass encased candle. Uh, I don't like drips of candle wax in my, <laughs> in my, in my church, but anyway, every, it made it really personal. Yeah. It really made it really personal. And they kept the candles lit through the gospel and through the homily. And then when we got to the lit, uh, liturgy of the Eucharist, then they extinguished, but they got into that. And then we did a, a, a procession just of the, the, myself as priest. Uh, with with a candle uh, and did a procession with two candle bearers. These are thirty pound brass, all brass, thirty three foot tall 
uh, uh, brass candle holders with with uh, with huge candles on them. So it takes men to do this. I, yeah. I, I want that masculinity back into our church. So we go around the church, the inside of the church, three times and three and a half times. Come back down the aisle in the center, and people are like, "What was that?" <laughs> well, you know, makes an impression. The, well, it makes an impression. Yeah. The Holy the, Jesus isn't just in the sanctuary; He's here. Yeah, this is this. You know, our bishop Bishop Olson came a year ago, and he dedicated our church. He blessed our church with those holy chrisms. The Holy Spirit fills that church from one end to the other, but it brings that reality alive. That so. is uh, awesome. I can tell that uh, that kind of stuff really gets you excited. Yes, and, uh, and the, yeah. more of that is needed. In yes. fact, I one of our uh, shows I heard this morning was talking about got to bring back these processions. You know, they're like they do overseas a lot more than they do here. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.